Welcome to Alpha and Omega Ministries International. This ministry is committed to bringing apostolic alignment and restoration of the values and principles of the Kingdom of God to the body of Christ. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 22 through to 33. Ephesians 5, verse 22 through to 33. I want to talk to you this morning about a great mystery. Paul called it a great mystery. What is a mystery? A mystery is a truth that cannot be understood or explained unless by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's what we call a mystery. And so we read, beginning with verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular to love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, Christ and the church in these verses that we just read is used as an illustration by Paul as the perfect model for a good marriage. Notice what Paul says in the last verses that we read. This is, he says, a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, looking at this discourse on the surface, you would think that Paul was teaching on marriage, wouldn't you? Huh? But if you dig deeper, you will see that he was giving us a beautiful picture of how Christ loves the church and for her sake, left his father in heaven, came down to earth in order to prepare a bride for himself. That's the picture 
that Paul is giving us here. I'm not saying that this is not applicable to husbands and wives. Of course it is. But Paul is giving us here a deeper revelation of this great mystery. He calls it a great mystery. Paul compares the union between Christ and the church as that of a husband and his wife. Now, in this beautiful picture and illustration, you notice that Paul is giving us something that is tangible, physical, visible, to illustrate something that is spiritual and invisible, which has greater significance and value in the scope of eternity. In fact, he himself called it a great mystery. And as I've explained, a mystery is something that is impossible to understand or explain except by revelation. That is why we have so much conflict in marriages today. And very often the marriage breaks down and they end up in divorce courts. Why? Because they don't understand what marriage is all about. It is a mystery. And unless a mystery is revealed and understood by the help of the Holy Spirit, people do not understand what they're getting into. Amen. So we need to have this revelation that Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying here that without this revelation, we lack proper understanding of the value and the significance both of our union with Christ, who is the head, as well as our union with each other, which is his body. Now, that's why I'm going to take a few minutes here to explain what is the church and what is not. Because I am convinced that many of us in the Christian community have not really understood or received a revelation of what the church really is. Now, the church is not a physical building as many of us refer to often. Where are you going? I'm going to church. And what, are we, what do we mean by that? We're going to a particular building. Church is not a building. It is not a geographical location which we often gather to worship God. Now, the church can meet in a building. The church can meet in a barn. Or in an open field. And in some African countries, the church meets under a tree very often. You will see them gathering together under a tree, worshiping God, reading the Bible, listen to, to a sermon. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So the church is not really defined by buildings. It is not defined or characterized by numbers or budgets. It can only be defined by the love of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the glory of God that dwells within the church. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. So the Lord defined his church and explained his church. The church is where the love of God resides. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love, if you have loved one for another.
So the church is so much more than just what we often perceive or understand. Without a clear understanding of what the church is and is not, we will be severely impaired, I believe, in our attitude as well as in our behavior towards the church. Now, the Bible defines the church as the spiritual habitation or the habitation of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit dwells. It is the family we belong to, from where we are nurtured, from where we are strengthened. The church is a place where we are being equipped, encouraged, often corrected, and from where we are sent out with the blessing of the Lord, commissioned to prosper in every sphere of life. That's what the church is. Paul writing to Timothy saying in 1 Timothy 3.15, If I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Notice what he calls the church. He said the church is the house of God. The Bible says that the Lord does not dwell in buildings made by hands, but dwells in us who receive Christ. So the church is the house of God and the pillar and the ground of the truth. Psalm 133, Elise read it in our prayer time, says the following. Turn with me to Psalm 133 and see what the word says there. Psalm 133, behold, look, see, that's what behold means, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. So we see here, according to these verses of Scripture, that the church is the place of commanded blessing if, if we learn to love one another, to serve one another, to submit to one another, to forgive one another, to remain united with each other, to be patient and long-suffering towards each other. When we learn these valuable principles and we act upon them, it becomes the place of commanded blessing. God commands His blessing upon the group of people that love each other, serve each other, submit to each other, forgive each other, bear long with each other, patient with each other, kind towards each other. That's when God puts his stamp of approval and commands the blessing upon that group of people. This is where we learn to work out our differences. You know, once I said that a good place to die is a marriage relationship, to die to yourself, to your own opinions, learning how to let go 
of your selfishness, serving your spouse, but also the church is a place, perfect place, where we learn how to take up the cross and die to our own selves. Amen? Now, this is where we learn to work out our differences by respecting each other's opinions, points of view, regardless of our position or possessions. It is a spiritual place of training and working out our own salvation, Paul says, with the fear of God and with trembling. The church is a place of nurturing and building relationships, keeping covenant together, learning how to sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of others. That's where we learn. Because the church is part of the kingdom of God. And that's where we learn the principles and the values of the kingdom of God. And this is where we have an opportunity to exercise good conduct, character, unselfishness, and servitude. Where else are we going to learn it? Outside in the world? No. In the house of God. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you gauge the maturity of a believer? By, by how much Bible he knows here? By how many times he goes to church? By how often he prays? No. The Bible says that the devil knows the scriptures as well. You know how I gauge the maturity of, of a believer? This is the way I gauge it. I gauge the maturity of a person by how he handles conflict in his relationships. I also gauge his maturity by how he handles disagreements and by how he treats other people. That's how you gauge the maturity of a person by how well he handles responsibility, by how he navigates or handles conflict in the relationship. Because anytime you have more than two people, you're going to have conflict. Sooner or later. Then what are you going to do? How are you going to deal with it? How are you going to manage that conflict? How do you manage the conflict or the disagreement between husband and wife, between brother and brother, sister and brother? How do you navigate through these things by not breaking the relationship and walking away, but maintaining the unity of the Spirit as the Bible commanded us? Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he said, keep the unity of the Spirit, maintain it. Exercise all effort to maintain that unity because the body of Christ is one. Amen? So that's how you gauge maturity. <laughs> you know, imagine a father or a mother putting ten kids together, they're all about two, three, four years of age, and leaving them unattended. They're going to kill each other. And this is what we often do as believers who are immature, babes in Christ. We fuss and argue. Amen? We compete. We are strongly opinionated. We become judgmental and critical. What does that tell us? That tells us there's still a lot of immaturity. We need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to be people who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. So that's how you gauge uh, the maturity of a person. You know, in the early days of the church, 
If they had put someone out of the fellowship of its members, it was like they were delivering him unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul may be saved. If they had put him out. And there were cases in the Corinthian church where Paul and the elders of that church had to put someone out because he refused to repent. He was sleeping with his with his father's wife and, and just pretended there was nothing wrong. And because of his unrepentant heart, they had to put him out. Now, as long as, listen to this, how powerful was the church in those days. As long as someone remained in the church under the covering, there is an invisible covering over every assembly of believers. That's what the Bible teaches. It is the covering of protection. It is invisible. And as long as that person remained in the church, Satan could not touch him until he was put out of the fellowship or what they call today excommunicate. The church in those days, folks, was feared and was highly respected, both by believers and unbelievers. There was such power, there was such unity, there was such glory within the church. In fact, people could drop dead. Remember Peter, Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to the Holy Spirit and they dropped dead right there. So the church was feared in those days because everyone understood what and who the church was. Today, unfortunately, most of that godly reverence and respect the church enjoyed has lost it. And we are the cause of it because of our immaturity. Now, the church, the Bible says, is the collective assembly of all born-again and blood-washed believers. Whether you're in a Baptist denomination, Orthodox denomination, even Catholic denomination, or any any group of people, uh, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God and washed by the blood of Jesus, you are a member of the body of Christ. And we need to recognize and respect every born again and blood washed believer. They are members of the same body. It is the body of Christ and unless, listen to me, unless we learn somewhere along the road of our walk of faith, to treat each other with proper respect, honor, sooner or later we're going to come under the judgment of the Lord. And the Bible teaches that. Unless we learn to truly love one another with the love of God. Now we cannot do that in our own strength. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 5 that the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now you may not feel like it, but it has nothing to do with the truth or the fact of the matter. You have the love of God within you because the Holy Spirit is within you. And God is not asking us to love one another with our love, human love, but with the love of God that was given to us. Not only does the Lord command us to love one another, but He gives us the love to do it with. Isn't he wonderful? Otherwise, God would be unjust if he had commanded us to do something and he has not given us the grace or the ability to do it. God will never tell you to do something that he knows you cannot do it 
without giving you the grace and the ability to do it. Amen? Now, most of us wait for something to feel. No, you're not going to feel anything. Love is not a feeling. Love is a person. Amen? And if we believe that we have the love of God within us, we ought to act like it. Amen? Someone asked once, what would you do if you did love your brother? How would you act? How would you respond? Obviously, with respect, with kindness. Amen? And with honor. And I say this, unless we learn to love each other the way God loves us, serve one another, look out for the interests of others, sacrifice ourselves even for the nurture and the development of those whom God has placed in our lives. Look around you and see whom has God placed in your life? Whom has God joined you to? First of all, your family, your husband, your wife. If you can't love your wife, whom you see, how can you love God whom you do not see? Hello? If you don't respect your husband whom you see, how can you say you honor and respect the Lord whom you do not see? Amen? That's what John the Apostle teaches us. Amen? If we love God, then we ought to love one another. We should sacrifice even times in order for others to be developed, to be nurtured. Those whom God has placed into our lives. We're not, you, you can't love people that you do not know, that you, you're not connected to. But you are commanded to love those whom God has placed in your lives. Amen? Your brother, your sister, your pastor. All of those people that you associate with. God placed them there so that we can love them. Amen? And if we can love them, God will change them. Now, we can't do the changing. And that's the trap that many of us fall. We try to change people before we love them. No, we ought to love them unconditionally. And when we give them that kind of love, the God kind of love, that is unconditional, that is unending, that is kind, that is honorable and respectful, people change. Amen. Because the Bible says that love never fails. You love someone long enough, he will change. Amen. It is the love... Thank you, Michael. Somebody, somebody is in agreement with me. So if, if we don't learn these things in the context of church, we will never reach our true potential or fulfill our destiny in Christ. We can know a lot of verses in our heads. We can quote scriptures. We can go to church as many times as we want to. We can pray. But unless we have the substance, and the substance is love. Honor, respect, and kindness. That's what Christianity is all about. It's all about relationships. It's all about how we relate to one another. I mentioned to you last time when I was with you right here in Gibson. What did I say? One of the things that I stressed over and over again is that relationships within the body are the foundation upon which Jesus builds his church. And the Bible says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Amen? That's how the devil works. How does he work? He divides, then he rules. Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. A family divided against itself will not stand. A church divided against itself will never stand. The enemy will bring it down. 
Jesus said, if the foundations, that is our relationships, are damaged and destroyed by offense, by unkindness, by arguments, by divisions, by whatever, then God cannot build us into the kind of people that He destined us to be. Say Amen. Now listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians concerning the body of Christ and the community to which we are part of and belong to. These are very, are very significant verses when he gives directions for communion. When the believers come together and they break bread together. We're going to read from verse 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 to 32 from the New King James Version. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 through to 32. Paul is giving them instructions now when they come together to fellowship to break bread. Now, he says, in giving these instructions to you, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself." not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, underline those words, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Notice what Paul said to the Corinthian believers, and I believe to the believers of our day. He said, when you come together, it is not for the better where you are concerned, but for the worse. 
You do more harm in gathering together, he said, than in staying home. Oh, those are harsh words, aren't they? Why, why did he say that? He said, well, some of you are so selfish and, and, and uh, you don't care about the poor in, in the midst of you. Some of you remain hungry while others get drunk. And then he said this to them, you have despised the church of God through your behavior. And listen, the Corinthians came under severe judgment as a result of their attitude and behavior toward each other. Paul said to them, your behavior failed to discern or to recognize who you're fellowshipping with. You're not discerning the body of Christ by not recognizing, honoring, and respecting one another as you should. As a result, listen to this, that's why he said, for this reason, because of that, many of you are sick, many of you are weak, and many of you have died prematurely. Wow. So he, he says that the cause of their sickness and weakness and premature death in the Corinthian church were a direct result of them not recognizing, discerning, honoring the body of Christ as they should. Not honoring each other. Or respecting each other. I truly believe, this is my personal conviction, if we choose to walk in love and forgiveness toward each other, we will eliminate most of the sickness, the weakness, the disease, and the premature death in our churches. I've heard the testimony of a preacher while he was preaching, and he was giving us true testimonies. He said, I was sitting with a couple of pastors and I listened to them in disgust how they talked about their wives in fact one of them said if I don't find three hot meals a day there's hell to pay <laughs> he said I noticed that pastor died at the age of 45 then another one spoke not respectfully about his wife and revealed what his attitude was he said, I noticed he died at the age of 53. Folks, these are serious things that we're talking about. We need to learn to get along with each other. And we need to learn somewhere, sooner or later, how to respect, how to honor, how to encourage and treat each other with the same kindness that Jesus treats us. Amen? Surely, offenses will come. We don't have to fall for them. Someone will say something, someone will do something, either willingly or unwillingly. You get upset, you get hurt. Forgive, forgive, forgive. How many times? Peter said, Lord, shall I forgive my brother? Jesus said, what? Seventy times seven. In other words, he was saying to him, unlimited forgiveness. Your brother sins against you and he comes and he says, I repent, you forgive him. Amen? Walk in love and we will live long and we will live strong and we will fulfill the number of our days. 
Exodus 23, 25 says, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and your water, and He will remove sickness and disease from the midst of you. The number of your days you will fulfill. There will neither be barren or miscarriage in your land. Why? Because you love God, you serve God, and you love your brother and your sister as Christ loved you. This is where we can protect ourselves, folks. I'm sharing some of these things with you. And some of these things truly grieve the heart of our Father and, and cause Him great sorrow in His heart when He sees His children not getting along, fighting with each other, bickering, gossiping, complaining about each other, judging, criticizing, rather than loving and forgiving. Amen? It grieves the heart of God. Now, in sharing these things, I really want you to know that it is not for the purpose of judging or condemning us, but it is rather for the purpose of bringing a change in our attitude and in our perception towards the body of Christ. Change is necessary and part of our growth. Where there is no change, there is no real growth. Amen? We need to grow up. We need to change. Change our way of thinking. Change our way of speaking. Amen? Hallelujah. And, and grow and develop in our character, in our conduct, in our behavior. We need to change. Our attitude towards the church is very often critical, judgmental, without compassion and without mercy. That's not the Lord. I mean, the Lord never judged anyone. He says, I did not come from heaven to judge you, but I came to save you. They threw at his feet a woman caught in adultery. Everybody was ready to stone her, from the eldest to the youngest. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. He gave her love. First he forgave her and loved her unconditionally. Then he said, go and sin no more. He didn't say sin no more and then he loved her. No, he loved her as she was, dirty, sinner, prostitute, unconditionally, and chased every accuser away. And then he said, go and sin no more. Do you see how the Lord deals with us? He loves us unconditionally. And when we are loved and accepted and appreciated by the Lord and by the body of Christ, then there comes an, a change in our lives. And we don't want to do wrong anymore. We don't want to sin anymore. Amen. Amen. Paul said to the Corinthians that they ought to, listen to what he said. He said that they ought to examine themselves and not each other. Now, this is one of the common traps we fall into. What do we do usually? This is, this is human nature. Instead of examining our hearts and ourselves and our behavior and conduct, what do we do? We examine the behavior and the conduct of others. That's what we do often. You see, all of us have a blind spot that we can't see. That's why we need trusted people around us who can point our blind spots. Yeah, but you don't know what she did to me and you don't know what he did to me. I've even had a pastor say to me, I gave my wife a list of five things. 
If she doesn't do them, I'll divorce her. And I'm standing here and I, I'm flabbergasted. I am shocked at what he said. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm not prepared to live anymore under these conditions. Is that what Christ, is that how he treats us? You don't perform, I won't love you, I'll divorce you. No, he says, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. Amen. So instead of examining ourselves, we examine the behavior and conduct of our brothers and sisters, instead of correcting our own attitude first. Now listen to what Jesus said. Folks, I'm sharing with you the gospel. I'm sharing the truth of the word of God here. May the Lord give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that embraces truth and is changed by it. Let me tell you something. It takes a lot of courage to embrace truth. A lot of courage. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, verse, verse 1 through 5, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judged, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And listen to what is it. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, and do you not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, the law of the kingdom is first things first. Remember that. Put first things first. Jesus said, first, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Is that what we do? How often do we go to God asking Him, Lord, show me what is wrong in my life. Show me, show me what is wrong in my, in my heart so that I can repent and correct it. Or do we go to God asking Him to change our spouse, our brother, our children, very often. We complain about our children as though God doesn't know where they are and what they're doing as well as others, rather than show, showing us what is sinful in our own hearts. I've learned this the hard way, folks, very early in my marriage. Every time I went to God to complain, and, you know, I was praying. But actually, I wasn't praying. I was complaining about my wife. You know, he would never take my side. He would never listen to what I said. He said, what is it to do with you? You follow me. What's your attitude towards her? And he would correct me. Now that's the humble attitude. We receive correction from the Lord. Often he corrects us. He says, you straighten out your attitude and your wife is my problem. I will change her, not you. You love her, I'll do the changing. And you know what we often do? We try to play God in people's lives. And we try to correct. It's not our place. Hello? It is the Lord's work to change a person. Amen? Do we go to our pastor sometimes, or our brother, our trusted brother, to help us see the plank in our own eye first? All of us have a blind spot. And we need a trusted friend 
to help us deal with our own wrong attitudes and behavior. Amen? Amen. But the person that you go to is a person whom you trust and know that that person loves you and is going to tell you the truth if you have the courage to hear the truth. And also there are some things that we're not ready to deal with. The Lord keeps quiet about them. He never says a thing. I know things in my own life, it took years for the Lord to address them. Years. My own wrong mindsets about what church is, about the orthodox religion or tradition that I was in. It took me years for God to deal with those areas in my life. There were very strong strongholds in my way of thinking. God didn't begin correcting me immediately. He waited until I was mature enough to receive the truth. And that's how God is patient with us. We are work in progress, folks. We're not a finished product. And that's why we should be patient towards each other. Wait. Wait. Pray. Love unconditionally. And wait on God to do the changing. A beautiful prayer that David prayed. And I often pray this prayer. It's recorded in Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. It says in the King James Version, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a beautiful prayer to pray. Search me, God. Know my heart, because I don't know my heart. I don't know my own self as well as you do, but you know me. So search me, because in your light, I will see light. I can't see it unless you cause your light to shine upon me. A number of years ago, to be exact, it was 2004. I was at a at a pivotal point in my ministry and in my personal walk with God. There were things that I, I needed answers. I had a lot of questions and I didn't have answers for them. I was in the state of Florida at that time and on purpose, I shut myself away to pray and to fast. And I said to the Lord, I'm not coming out of this room unless I hear from you. You know, for two whole days, heaven was like brass. It was though that my prayers were bouncing back. Cried out to the Lord, prayed. Nothing. No presence, no answer, nothing. On the third day, heaven opened. And God shone his light upon me. And what I saw, I was disgusted with myself. But what I saw brought true tears and repentance. And I repented. And then I began to receive the answers that I needed. You know, sometimes we need to shut ourselves away from the business of life, from the cares of this world, just you and God alone and your Bible, to do business with God. And you know, that was the turning point of my ministry. And that was the turning point of my walk with God. Things began to happen and things began to change from 2004 onwards.
And I believe I'm here today, I'm exercising what I'm doing as a result of what took place on that day in 2004, December. So there comes a time when we need to get alone with God and say, Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see, Lord, if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In 2 Corinthians 10.6, Paul wrote to the Corinthians saying some very wise words. He said, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, he was saying God stands ready to punish all disobedience when? When our obedience is complete. That tells me that God will not deal with those around us unless we are willing to allow the Lord to deal with us first. Amen? So God gives us time, much time, and He has been very patient with us. Did you get a revelation, Michael? He said, I'm ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is complete. When you straighten your life out, I will deal with those around you that you're complaining about. That's exactly what he's saying. The patience of the Lord and the long-suffering of God with us often is misunderstood as though God overlooks our sinful behavior towards the church. The Bible says that God is long-suffering. And is very patient with us. Why? For the purpose of bringing us to a place of repentance. <coughs> and let me say one more thing in closing. The problem we face today in all kinds of churches is not what really goes on, but rather our response to it. It's how we respond to it that is the problem. God can heal and deliver and straighten us out if we do not react, but rather respond in love. That's the problem. Now, if we respond in a godly manner to the present state of the church, God is able to heal, to restore. But if we choose to withdraw, disengage, criticize, and judge the fellowship of the church, you know what we do? We become instruments in the hands of the devil and we destroy our own selves. So there's a right way to respond and there's a wrong way to respond. The Bible says if you call your brother Raka or fool, you're in danger of hellfire. But the Bible also says, do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And if someone says to you, Raka, do not react, respond in love. Don't put oil on the fire. Put the fire out by responding in the spirit. That's how the Lord is teaching us to walk. Amen? Now, Paul said to the Galatians in 5.15, But, he said, listen, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the godly response to, the, to, the, to what we are facing in the present state of the church is to love one another unconditionally and to give ourselves to continued prayer and intercession on behalf of the church. Amen? 
When we see these things, we ought to go to God and cry out to Him from a heart that is truly broken. Amen? From a place of repentance. And out of a broken heart will come a prayer that is filled with power and grace to release the church from its bonds and from its afflictions. Isaiah said in 62, verse 6 and 7, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a type of the church as well. They shall never hold their peace day and night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem or the church a praise in the earth. That is a godly response. We go on our knees. We cry out to God, Lord, be merciful. Lord, be, be patient with us. Help us to learn these wonderful lessons that you're teaching us. And most of all, teach us to walk in love as you have loved us. Amen? Well, I trust that you have been blessed today out there and come to a greater understanding and revelation of what the church is and what it is not. We are the church of the living God. We are the house of God. We are members of the body of Christ. And no one, the Bible says, has ever hated his own flesh. We are bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. Treated with respect, with love and honor. That's it. There you go. Now, we are ready to receive communion. And what did Paul say we need to do before we do so? Examine ourselves. Not each other. Ourselves. Lord, search me. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way. And lead me in the way everlasting. Can we pray that prayer together? Let's bow our heads and pray in closing and in administering communion. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the conviction that your spirit brings. Lord, you're not here to condemn us. You're here to deliver us, to save us from ourselves and from our sinful ways. We bow before you. We ask that by your Spirit you would cause your light to shine upon our hearts. And we pray the prayer that David prayed so many years ago is as fresh and as powerful as it is the day he prayed it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, Lord, and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If there is anyone that the Spirit of God brings to your remembrance to forgive, please forgive, release them, bless them, love them, let them go. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. 
For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomegaint.org.za.